Support for Innovation Hub comes from Bunker Hill Community College with internship opportunities at Boston's top corporations through BHCC's Learn and Earn program. More information at bhcc.edu le. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There was a moment that tells you a lot about this election. It happened in 1992. And it happened behind the scenes at a TV network that was looking to make a little more money, try to diversify its revenue. So the network launched a new kind of show. The show had some elements of a documentary, but it wasn't really a documentary. When it launched, execs crossed their fingers. They needed a hit, and they got one. The show was called The Real World. And the network, of course, was MTV. Tim Wu is a professor at Columbia Law School who has written about that MTV moment as critical in the race to capture our attention, to develop a formula that would press our buttons over and over again. The real world also launched an army of reality TV stars who became part of our lives and in one case was elected president. Wu is the author of The Attention Merchants, the epic scramble to get inside our heads. Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, it's a pleasure. So we are doing this interview um, in the wake of a kind of stunning election, I think you could say. Um, And one thing about it that was stunning, that was precedent-setting, was the ability of someone who uh, had trained to kind of get your attention on a TV show to then get our attention through politics. How much do you think the sort of TV attention-getting aspect of things uh, was a factor here? (laughs) It was uh, more than a factor. You know, I think the 2016 election was a culmination of so much of what has happened in the uh, battle uh, for attention over the last century, uh, displaying all of everything kind of coming uh, together, whether it was the use of social media whether it was the training in reality television and the sort of particular understanding that it doesn't really matter if you are, you know, likable or unlikable as long as you're watchable and people want to just see what happens next, that that kind of building of a narrative that keeps people glued turned out to be so important in this election. In the primary, I didn't think it would matter for the general, but then again in the general, the harnessing of techniques that were used by totalitarian states and other times. It it all kind of came together and uh, produced a really extraordinary result that obviously we're all still talking about. What are the techniques that you feel like that you would point to as being really important that maybe have been undercovered or underthought about in terms of getting our attention, right? Because I think we think about the normal things like, well, there are three debates and, you know, this and that. There's acceptance speeches and stuff. But but uh, there's conventions. But what what were you seeing, um, having sort of studied the attention-grabbing industry? Yeah, I mean, a, a whole bunch of things. So one of the things I noticed, again, is the deep understanding that no publicity is bad publicity, just as long as you get your face out there over and over and over again, uh, repeatedly, that that uh, will let you get your message across. And then pairing that with a, a Trump, Trump's pairing of that with giving voice to people's kind of hidden or or unspoken fears, hatreds, uh, biases. Uh, It's a technique that's been used um, early in the century, usually by uh, more very uh, totalitarian leaders. 
to rise to power by speaking to those kind of feelings. And I think that was more effective than anyone thought. Obviously, it became more important than any sort of substance. And you put all of that together with the fact that the media itself was so desperate for ratings and had the best show going uh, ever that they covered every part of this to a level which has never been seen before and highlighted every development with the instincts called from reality television or from sports coverage to produce a situation where you could not get away from it. It, it sort of penetrated our, our attentional consciousness in a level which you don't normally see, as I said, outside of totalitarian regimes where they control the state media. You had that face in your face every day, all the time, and somehow it's uh, led where it has. Uh, why did nobody, at least in the U.S., it sounds like what you're saying is nobody in the U.S. running for president, at least, had figured this out before Donald Trump. Why not? I don't think no one has figured it out. I think people have run on hatred and fear before. Giving voice to fear and hatred is something fascists have always done. It's something that Nixon did. It's something George W. Bush did to some extent, especially in the 04 campaign. What was different was the harnessing of the narrative power of reality television, the constant twists and turns, the new accusers, the I'm going to sue you, the, the insults, all those uh, techniques, a constant 24-hour stream of new drama was key to the demands, the hunger of a media that needs constant new stories, something else to get people to click or to watch on. And I think that was truly new, to give up, just become a content machine, the Trump campaign of stuff to, to watch and see, and therefore get these ideas deeper and deeper into everyone's consciousness and ultimately lead to those outcomes. Okay, but do you think if you were on the Trump campaign or you think you would think, well, this Access Hollywood tape doesn't look so good, but, uh, you know, whatever, as long as we're covered <laughs> on the media, that's that's a good day. Because it, it didn't, I mean, yes, it's true, the media is trying to get ratings, but they certainly were not shy about covering things that made Trump look not so great. Right. I No, I agree with that. But for some reason, it it didn't affect him, obviously, at fundamental uh, levels, and it kept him in the stories. Uh, it, you know, it, it does seem counterintuitive. All of his, most of his advisors say, we need you to be disciplined, you know, to, to uh, c control yourself. But at some level, he understood. Yeah, he uh, probably knew the Access Hollywood tape yeah. wasn't his best moment, but as long as he was kind of dominating the storylines one way or another, you know, insulting people back and forth. It was his story. And at some level, I think he understood that this would, would work. Uh, and it, you know, it seems very counterintuitive. I mean, who wants, especially the Access Hollywood stuff. And maybe that was the bridge too far, although, you know, uh, you at some level cannot argue with success. He survived mm -hmm. that. He turned every scandal into a story that just kept him going. Uh, the deeper point is there's there's a battle for attention that goes on that is different than the battle uh, for for uh, substance, obviously. And Trump, by every possible mean, won the battle for attention and ended up winning the presidency. What is it about us that we respond so favorably or at least that we're so excited by... Um, this sort of perfect formula that reality TV has happened upon. 
what is it about whether it's Donald Trump or Kim Kardashian or Paris Hilton or like a long line of people who right. started off? I mean, they, they may have they may have branched out. Obviously, they did. Mm-hmm. But um, who started off in reality television? What is it about us that we are so captivated um, by that formula? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I mean, at one point, the idea of a celebrity was someone like you know, the Queen of England or someone or a famous scientist like Einstein who were so godlike, kind of beyond us, uh, unreachable, uh, that that people felt that they almost worshipped them. Uh, You know, in the last 20 or 30 years, the leading celebrities are almost the opposite. If they're gods, they're pagan gods. They're prone to embarrassing episodes, drunken fits. Who knows what it is, but the the sort of respectable... uh, interesting characters cannot compete. I mean, everyone, no one thinks Kim Kardashian is some paragon of virtue, but somehow you can't resist knowing, wanting to know what she does next. Same thing with Donald Trump, and it conveys and creates a certain kind of power that we're really starting to understand right now. I'm Kara Miller. You're listening to Innovation Hub, and I'm talking with Tim Wu, author of the book, The Attention Merchants, The Epic Scramble to Get Inside Our Heads. You say in this technological world that we live in where you've got so many inputs, radio, television, the web, you know, you've got sort of people following social media all the time, that this is a quote from you. We are at risk without fully knowing it of living lives that are less than our own. Uh, what what started to make you so concerned that the sort of folks who are trying to grab our attention all the time are in some ways, I guess, injuring us maybe? You know, I started noticing uh, that I'd lost control over my own attentional facilities. <laughs> and, you know, I noticed that I would say sit down to write an email at my computer, and then suddenly a couple hours would go by, and I honestly could not figure out why that was happening, why my hand was moving to click on things, why Mm. it seemed impossible to shut down the screen. I think a lot of people have had some variation of that experience where you get bored so quickly and you're, right, you mean to be online for five minutes and you're on for a lot longer. Yeah, exactly, and you know, in almost all parts of life, I just started noticing to what degree they are intermediated. You know, you're paying attention to something which is in some ways engineered to keep you wanting more or drive you in a certain direction, essentially to manipulate you. You know, a lot of people who especially have gambling problems will be like, well, I just wanted to make a bet. And then, you know, I kind of got stuck in this vortex. And (laughs) I think that's happening with us, but with our attention as opposed to our money, where you get kind of caught in these vortexes. And then so how much of your day is really yours? Like, I decided to do this now and did it. It, Because doing almost anything requires paying attention to it. And so that's what I'm talking about, the breakdown of that kind of control over, over your life. When did companies first realize you know, in some ways, we don't have to sell things to people. If we just get their attention, that's the most important thing. And then we can kind of sell that attention to other people or, you know, we can use that attention for really whatever we want. Right. If there's a theme to my book, it's to try to get people to understand that. And I think the presidential election drives it home. 
is that the prior kind of battle to get attention sometimes matters more than anything else that goes on. You know, that's the triumph of Donald Trump and Kim Kardashian, is their ability to make you watch them is where they win. So where did that come from? Well, I went searching for the source of the Nile, so to speak. And uh, where I found it is in New York City in the 1830s with the birth of the first tabloid penny press papers. The first papers that had the idea, okay, uh, we're going to dramatically lower our price, almost to free, a penny, and gather a huge crowd with crazy, lurid stories, you know, kind of the reality TV of their times, murder, suicide, uh, gossip, and uh, gather a giant audience and resell it. And I think when that model was born in the 1830s, you have sort of the beginnings of uh, cultural developments that lead to this election, 2016. What makes social media and the Internet so much better at getting our attention, if it is better, if you think it is better, um, at getting our attention than, let's say, TV and radio, which were, in their day, also pretty cutting edge? I, I don't think TV is bad at it. I think TV is pretty good. Uh, it persuaded, you, you know, the entire nation to spend untold millions of hours, particularly 50s, 60s, 70s. In fact, people still watch, on average, upward of 1,500 or more hours uh, a year on television. So I would never count out television as uh, the attention grabber par excellence. The main advantage I think the uh, social media and web have is they take advantage of our interest in our friends and family, other people. Uh, that social sphere used to be non-commercial, non-advertised to, but uh, ever since basically AOL and, you know, through Facebook, we have the fact that our family and friends, our acquaintances, which obviously are able to get our attention by just saying, hey, you know, I had a new baby or something, that that is something that has become commercialized. And that is something whose appeal is irresistible in its own way. We care about ourselves and our family more right. than almost anything else. So that that is their special appeal. The last thing is portability, but I'll... I'll yeah, yeah. I think that's obvious. So having spent so much time thinking about um, the ability of companies, of people to grab our attention and figuring out like the perfect ways to press our buttons, and then obviously we, we talked about this election, where do you feel like... Um, we go from here because I, I I think in some ways if if you were a politician thinking about running next time around, you would learn something from this election and think about what works. So one one thing you could learn, I think the darker message would be that the nature of celebrity has fundamentally changed, and celebrity is driving major political elections and watchability matters above everything, just that raw ability to get people to want to know what you're going to do next, whether or not it's you're reputable or distinguished or have any relevant experience, that doesn't matter. Um, maybe a less dark message might be that if you want to be successful in politics, you do need to give voice to people's deeply held emotions. And, you know, Trump, for better or for worse, did give voice to unspoken hatreds, fears, 
concerns about about uh, the greatness of the country and and uh, things like that. You know, his opponent Hillary Clinton didn't really, uh, with some exceptions, tap into what people were feeling, and you know, left a lot of people cold. And so, you know, one lesson might need to be: you really do have to uh, be able to deliver a sense of hope or some kind of emotional content if you're going to succeed as a politician uh, in in a sort of mass election. And maybe that's the, the lesson to learn. Tim Wu is the author of the book, The Attention Merchants, the epic scramble to get inside our heads. He's also a professor at Columbia Law School. Tim, thank you so much. Sure, it's been, it's been a pleasure. 